Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale a business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Anna Zamora, the CEO at Vitans. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. My pleasure. And uh, you have an, uh, an amazing background. You've worked in a, in a large multinational uh, company, then you evolved into a, a very well-known health tech scale-up, and, and then you decided to, to start your own uh, startup, uh, Vitas. So there is a, a great journey to, to be shared. So for the ones who didn't have the pleasure yet to meet you, and uh, give us just a, a bit of a background on, on your story so far uh, until you decided to start uh, Vitas. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I started my career uh, a long time ago in investment management. So I was working for an investment management company in London, um, which, to be honest, is a phase of my professional life that has helped me then later understanding fundraising principles and, and some cool. investment principles. So, um, you know, there's always um, learning things as, is always useful uh, for your life. You, you never know when you're going to use uh, that knowledge. Uh, but yeah, after that, I, I worked in, in a large multinational, Mercer, which is part of the Marsh and McLennan group of companies. Uh, I joined their investment uh, management company. Then I moved on to consulting uh, and also in the insurance brokerage area. So yeah. I worked in different countries, had different responsibilities, uh, but mainly around employee benefits and innovation and digital solutions in, in general. So um, again, you know, that allowed me to be very close to startups and disruptive business models. So it was right. very, very interesting. Uh, but, you know, even though I had the opportunity to work in many different things, many countries, mm -hmm. um, you know, my, my time there reached, uh, I, I guess, uh, a, a ceiling uh, and I needed to look for new challenges and new things. Right. So I, I, I stopped working there um, the plan was to set up my own company, my own venture, but mm -hmm. um, uh, I decided to go and, and test the waters a little bit with uh, working for another nice. startup, um, budding um, scale up at the time, which is Alan in France. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. As well. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, you know, it's one of the best to work with a great group group of people and and learn some things that perhaps I didn't have in in my playbook. So um, very interesting. I did that for about a year. And then that's when I decided to to launch uh, Vitans. Yeah. As we know, the the audience is global and, uh, and the audience is very fragmented also because sometimes a very well-known company in Spain is not so well-known or startup or scale-up in Spain is not so well-known in the UK and same with France and, and Germany. Alan is, is one of the largest health tech companies in, in Europe and one of the kind of the first generation was able to, to scale to a level that few were able to. Uh, so super, super well known. Uh, and I, I enjoy the way you, you decided to first test the waters at a late stage scale up before jumping <laughs> directly to to start your own uh, venture. And curious as well that you also had experience on more the investment side that allowed you and also relationships with, with startups and scale-ups that uh, allowed you to be more in touch with the um, innovation uh, ecosystem and, uh, and maybe also to start sparking in you a certain desire and wish to, to start your own company and to, to be able to, to start something from scratch, right? Certainly, you know, when you work as a broker or consultant, it's quite a privileged position. And I think it's not by accident uh, that a lot of uh, consultants end up working or, you know, uh, going to the startup world because you can see many problems that the clients, um, you know, many pains they have and problems that are, are there and that they, the current industry is not solving or has difficulty in solving. So, you know, I think that's probably one of the best places to learn two of the basic things you need for, um, you know, innovation, which is uh, understanding the problem or the pain that is, 
you need to solve um and also good execution so uh right i think that 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 was certainly coming from brokerage and an employee benefit consulting uh it was something that really helped me to to learn about the pain that the clients were having and how the insurance industry was trying to uh solve that pain but they were failing and and i thought that was an opportunity there for for a company like Vitans to solve it so right yeah. and, and let's go there so in january of 21 you took you you took the the leap of faith to to start Vitans. so and and i assume before you have identified a, a pain point one of those big big problems where you saw a big opportunity to start your own company um, what is Vitans? What is the problem that you are solving? Uh, what are you bringing to the market since the 21? Sure. I think, you know, something that is part of me as well, my personality, what I'm interested in is, um, is wellness and well-being. Um, you know, I've even, you know, as, as a hobby, I've studied nutrition and personal training and several other things. Uh, I think, you know, living a healthy life um is uh, is very important and you know living a better life and working in the insurance industry i could see how aligned uh, the insurance industry is to those values um and not just because they sound pretty right it's like the right thing mm -hmm. to do it's also because it makes economical sense for them you know then if, if you insure people like with health and life insurance you don't want them to get sick. You don't want them to have a claim on the insurance policy. So right. I thought that, you know, it was a very beautiful way of uh, working on, on the things that I wanted to and with, you know, an economic incentive as well, of course. Um, right. So that, that was one side of it. And yeah. the other side was seeing that um, companies also have this genuine interest in general to to provide mm -hmm. a better lifestyle and a better quality of life for their employees um, and they already have uh, employee benefits in the form of insurance products and they're not getting all the value they should from their current insurance product and that's that's what Vitans is there to do is to use technology and data mm -hmm. that comes from wearables or from the actual employee or user um, right. interaction uh, with the app because it's a, it's a mobile app to enhance their life, to enhance their experience and incentivize them to live a better life. And we do this through gamification. So we are obsessed with people uh, using our app, making sure that uh, it's interesting. Um, we're not a prescriptive app, app so we don't tell mm -hmm. people what to do. Most people have a pretty good idea of what to do to, to live a better life. Um, you just never find the moment, uh, you know, ne never see right. the incentive. So we're there to, through this gamification, help them create better habits and help them to stick to their um, intentions and habits. And, you know, right. it helps if you get points and you pass mm -hmm. levels and the same way that a video right. game and um, you know engages you you can do that with wellness and, and well-being uh, in the context of your company and right. and all this data as well uh, can help hr teams to make better decisions around employee well-being and engagement so that's what big hands focuses on got it so to, today the um, the product is is a health and life insurance together with a, with an app where you can uh, have advice about how to live a, a better life so tips about uh, sports or uh, food or something that you can do to have a better health you can explain much better than me but sure. just trying to, to it's, um, yeah. it's actually pure uh, gamification so yeah. it's, it's really about challenging people or helping them to create routines in exchange yeah. for a reward and mm -hmm. that reward um, you know, we could talk about the product journey for, for a while, but, you know, yeah. all this time, uh, nearly, you know, commercially active, we've been for a year, but working on the product for almost two years. And we've right. tested many different things. Uh, you know, what actually incentivizes people to live a better life? Um, you know, tips, 
well-being plans, uh, nutritional plans, personal training plans, all of these, the industry has been doing for some time, but they're not followed, you know, um, they have very little uptake. So very few people actually, and, and then, you know, once they enroll, which, you know, it's a hurdle, but then the next hurdle is actually how long they stick with them. So having seen these for for years, um, our obsession is making sure that they engage. Engagement is our key metric, you know, that that is the North Star. So we, right. we make sure that people um, have reasons to come back to the app. Um, and rewards are an important part of it. And what rewards us as human beings um, is certainly not money. Uh, or not the amounts of money uh, that you know we can provide as cash back uh, in in exchange for the premium we get paid. Um, it's certainly not vouchers and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. We've tested many different things, and now with you know several months and over twelve months of data, we can say that actually people want to do something for the world they live in. Uh, so whether it's environmental, whether it's improving other people's lives, but uh, there is more reward perceived uh, and more engagement is gen- is generated when you feel like you're actually contributing to something bigger than yourself. Um, right. And that's, you know, one of the things that our product is super focused on, you know, for example, let's say that you reduce your calorie intake or you increase uh, mm-hmm. your calorie burn you know so your net effect is is that you, you're reducing your, your calories you can actually turn that into meals to donate to people that need it or mm-hmm. clean water or you know improve nice. the environment that you live in so planting trees reducing carbon footprint um this you know we've we've realized that has a massive impact and is really motivating and encouraging for people to stick with their habit because they can see how yeah. it builds so it's about tracking data about your own right. well-being, but also tracking data about how much you're contributing. And, and that's really motivating for people. And, and that's a great conclusion because the, the ones who have been following the, the sector, InsureTech, and especially this combination of InsureTech plus tech, thought that uh, it might be a good idea to reward the ones who are taking uh, good care of their elves to reduce the price of the of the of the price they are paying for for their policies right or the premium that they are paying for their policies and what you are saying is that maybe this is not the way to go and maybe there is also some ethical conflict here and and what we have discovered in in the last two years with uh, with the product and in the last year with the commercialization of the product is that people are motivated by other factors uh, beyond uh, money and financial um, incentive, right? So it's much more about leaving yeah. a legacy, contributing to a social cause, to eliminating carbon or to reduce carbon uh, footprint, to help others that might lack. Uh, a meal nowadays so and and also maybe i know that your that your product is is mainly for b2b also uh, as part of the company as part of a team may may be able to contribute to a certain segment of the population to get better by the donations that we give um, by the actions that we make so we are doing good for ourselves and doing good for others right that that's absolutely I mean that that's a great reflection because you know we 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 do get asked this a lot you know that does it lower the premium or the price that's paid for the insurance and yes we feel that there is a bit of an ethical issue there because uh, if you do that by default uh, it almost means that you have to increase the price of people that you know may not be that healthy you know or, or have um a different type of less active right. life or you know they can look after themselves better and I say they can't because you know things happen and they may have yep. you know some sort of disability or or problem you know illness um so that would make some people almost uninsurable uninsurable because they won't be able to afford insurance so right. we do think that um the pricing mechanisms of insurance and um, people insurance you know when we don't insure things we talk about people 
um, tend to be fair and the regulation, uh, you know, and, and I know a lot of founders are not going to agree with me, but we think regulation actually protects consumer quite well in that regard. Um, so 100% we think that, um, you know, there has to be a mechanism that evens out prices, of course, you know, younger people, super healthy people are going to have a better price than other people. But if you push it too far, you can be pricing people out of the market. Uh, and, and we don't think that should happen. Um, so that's in relation to pricing and, and what rewards and incentivizes people to look after themselves. But also there is an additional element, uh, which is also something that makes us unique. Uh, for B2B distribution because it adds a lot of value to the company. And, mm -hmm. and you know, we realized that these are social features of our product, uh, meaning that people actually like to do things together. Mm -hmm. So the same way that it, you're twice as likely to go to the gym if you go with a friend than if you go by yourself. Right. The same thing applies to sticking to other habits, you know, eating better, being more active, meditation. Uh, you know, you you, you, held, you hold each other accountable. You you work with others towards a common goal, producing your carbon footprint or whatever it might be, um, and that's very valuable within organizations because people pull together for something related to work, but that is not work. And what can be definitely related to is uh, company values. Uh, ESG goals and, and different things. Right. So for us, it's a way to circle up, you know, and, and, and go 360 right. on the important things for the organization. And, and we think that's, you know, like a, a huge uh, part of our success with uh, companies and selling employee benefits. It goes beyond the protection of insurance products, which is fantastic, mm -hmm. uh, but it helps them to look after their employees and look after you know, the, the society we're living. So um, it's quite a comprehensive way of tackling employee benefits. Right. So in terms of the ICP, which is really kind of, um, or the gold market is a B2B2C. So you sell the product to companies. And then of course you need to onboard the, um, the employees uh, of those companies. And again, you need to ensure that they are engaged with the product to be able to retain the customer and also, of course, to deliver the benefits and to fulfill the purpose of, of your company, uh, Vitens. Correct, because, you know, you may be tempted to think, okay, which is what happens with the industry, by the way, you, know, you get paid because this is a social benefit. It's paid by the company. So mm -hmm. you've got paid. That's the end of your job, right? Uh, well, that's, that's what we don't think should be the case you know right. that's why we're obsessed with engagement it's like okay we got paid but of course I want to get paid next year and the year after that the year <laughs> after that uh, and that's our big differentiator and um, that we make sure that we're used you know when we talk about life insurance especially which is our core product we always okay. say that we are the first life insurance that you want to use um, you know you don't want to use other life insurance because you know, it, it, it doesn't mean great things, right? Um, but it, this is actually to live better. Uh, and and that's, that's our focus. And yeah, I mean, there is a point that sometimes, you know, we depend on, on internal communications policies and, and so on. Um, but word of mouth tends to be uh, the best thing for us. So, you know, a few employees start using us and, uh, you know that they find it so engaging that they invite other of their cups, the, the rest of their colleagues, and and we end up with you know in the high nineties of um, employees, active employees, and onboarded employees, which is um, you know a pretty good result. And um, I've done employee benefits for several years, as I say, in four or five different mm -hmm. countries, and anything over twenty percent is you know, skyrocket, uh, sky high and, and very, mm -hmm. very high figures. So um, we're very happy that we can get almost all employees. Uh, in, in some cases, all employees um, on board on our app and are active on the app. So yeah, very happy with that. And just to clarify, Anna, is it life insurance or also life plus health insurance or, or yeah? 
No, we, we can do both. Uh, okay. Then to do more life insurance, accident insurance as well, uh, okay. and health insurance. Um, in, but this is more recent. Uh, so we, we have very few health insurance clients. Um, right. But but yeah, we also do. So the first one was life insurance, and now you are thinking about starting to expand to uh, the same customer base to be able to cover other components of of insurance. Uh, Correct. That's got it. it. Makes uh, makes a lot of sense. And um, yeah, we were talking about the go to market, and I I think again you started in in january of 21 and uh, you went to the market in in maybe beginning of 22 one year ago right so first year it was mainly i assume to develop the first version of the product licenses and all that bureaucracy that also comes with uh, insurtech right uh, it's a lot of founders in insurtech talk about that uh, there is a lot of work to do in order to be able to uh, build a build a be able to operate not only having the the products. Uh, am I right to uh, to Correct. affirm that? Correct. And there is also an added thing is that we decided from the very beginning that we were a B two B company. So employee benefits tend to get renewed first of January. So right. meaning that during the year there is almost nothing you can do. <laughs> if you. <laughs> You know, insurance policies need to be cancelled at least one month in advance. So meaning that what you haven't sold by the end of November, you can have almost like another year to wait. And uh, so 2021 was impossible for us to, to make it there on, on time. Um, and 2022, that meant that we had had to sold everything before. So, uh, yeah. And we we started to build pipeline Pilot in, in twenty two. Yes, so right. most of our clients have come in now in January twenty twenty three this year. So yeah, the timings are are challenging. Uh, but but you know it's it's an interesting product because also you grow with your clients. You know, as they hire more people as well. Yeah. And, you know, we sell insurance, meaning that we sell trust, um, which is right. something quite difficult to sell. So when you get your first few clients and you do a good job, they bring other clients with them. And, you know, referrals are a great way as well for growth. Mm -hmm. Even if they're not direct referrals, the fact that people are trusting you, you know, encourages others to trust you as well. So uh, it's, right. it's very much a snowball business. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But I assume that during 22, kind of the customer discovery and all the hypotheses that you fought when you created the company and you start developing the, the first version of the product, then you started seeing what, what has been the market uh, reception and uh, you need to start adjusting or doing kind of a discovery about your what is your ideal um, customer profile. What has been some of those lesson, lessons during 2022? Because then again, to, to repeat what you said, you were able to close the first customers or first companies end of 22 that started um, their uh, insurance packages in the first day of uh, 23. And now you are developing the pipeline that you will convert at the end of 23 uh, to start uh, as customers uh, in the 1st of January of, uh, of 24. So what has been some of those lessons discovering um, what is our ideal custom profile which is a not, not an easy job right <laughs> at all it's not definitely not especially because we feel that um the the market the, the 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 rules of the game if you want have changed so much if you think about the market at the end of 2021 uh companies were experiencing a very different macroeconomical uh content uh context Sorry, and uh, exactly. then 2022 Q1 right. was completely different from the rest of the year. Q2 things started to change dramatically, and and probably even now, you know, inflation is probably top of mind now. When you know things, this literally every six months uh, have changed uh, completely, and the type of customer that was ideal for us has suffered a lot. And we had to find another uh, niche 
uh, another pond to mm -hmm. fish. Uh, those ponds change again. So, you know, we've had to be super agile. Uh, we've gone from white collar companies to blue collar companies. Now we're going back to white collar again, uh, different industries, uh, different type of profiles, uh, tech, non-tech, pharma, you know, many different things. Uh, so it's been challenging. Uh, I think the key for this was to be super agile and trust our instinct quite a bit, uh, listen to customers a lot. Um, but luckily, in terms of product, uh, people are people, right? And what motivates mm -hmm. people um, tends to be the same things, you know, across industries. So it's right. true that to approach clients, we had to learn about the context, the macroeconomical context. But then when it comes to the actual use of the product, uh, right. we've been able to make quite a bit of progress and understand people's motivations and you know, it's right. behavioral science, um, literally, and, and that obviously the context has an impact, but it doesn't change the fundamentals that much. That's what we always heard from uh, second, for example, founders, is that, of course, product is important, but product without distribution and without the go-to-market, right, uh, it, it will not work. But it seems that the fundamentals of your product needed to be there independently of what is the uh, ideal uh, customer profile. Uh, and maybe you are also in a movement typical to, to a company that is focused on B2B, which is starting kind of um, going upstream, not starting with enterprise. Maybe in your case, you are now also not starting with, with small businesses, given the nature um, of your business but being maybe in the middle in the in the mid-market segments but still maybe later it would make a lot of sense to move upstream to to enterprise but the timing is not uh, right yet so still uh, first building a reputation and building a strong customer base around mid-market before going uh, to to the enterprise layer maybe a little bit later uh, in the growth of the company that's that's absolutely and and it has been very challenging because um, you know we've had enterprise clients approaching us, and you have to know when it's too early for that, and when you're not ready, and it represents a big defocus for a small team like ours. Um, so sadly, we've had to say no to some things. But um, thinking back now, um, it's probably it was the right thing to do. You know, when you're not right. ready you're not ready and it's better to to wait because you could end up building the product that others want exactly the product that solves the problem you're trying to solve and yeah. um you know we've been tempted and perhaps we've done a bit of that but um we came to our yeah. senses and we're focusing on the right things yeah you just described a, a very common thing, right? So your your product roadmap becomes the product roadmap of your largest clients, which are the ones that you are the most dependent on, given the MRR or ARR or revenues that that are paying to to be with you. And then it's it's quite difficult to have your own product vision, uh, and, and you can become a kind of a software house for, for those customers. And maybe the product that you are developing will not fit for other customers. Uh, and then the growth will be very complicated and you will also have a Frankenstein <laughs> product uh, at, some uh, at the same time. Uh, and it will be difficult to get out of that, right? Yeah, because... Okay. Sometimes think they know what they need, um, but that's not always the case. Um, you know, if you ask employees what they value the most, you could end up with a list of things that you know you you may prioritize and implement, and then you look back in six months' time. You know, you don't have to wait that long to realize that mm -hmm. none of those things were used. And HR teams go back and say, "Well, I don't get it." You know, they they ask me for this. Why is it not? used now right right uh, and and that is because you, you may think you want to go to the gym and that a gym benefit would be fantastic but that is you know your wishful thinking hopefully, hopefully <laughs> that you will definitely go but then you look back and you realize that only a handful of people the same handful of people that were going to the gym regularly 
before the benefit are going to the gym now or mental health benefits um you know there is an issue but you forget that they're there when you need them uh, you know there's always friction uh, when using these things so that's why we are all about prevention gamification making sure it's engaging so employees have our solution top of mind when the time comes for any of these well-being needs so once you're in that path um, it's easier um, to access different things uh, and that's really the, the the kind of product we're building you know a, a product that helps prevent but at the same time is is there is top of mind for employees when they have a need uh, relating to wellness and, and well-being right so in terms of the stage of growth and uh, you are now at seed stage so start in the beginning of uh, 21 just for people to to follow a bit can you just um give us a, an overview about so the first fundraising milestone has been achieved uh when the pre-seed so, round or angel so round? A, a pre-seed round um uh, it was at the end q4 2021 got it so yeah, it was as I said, different context altogether, especially for fundraising, right. especially in fintech or euphoria in, in in the VC, and especially for insurtech and health tech. Uh, uh, everyone was super excited about that sector, especially after the pandemic, uh, or still during the pandemic, right? At, at that time, <laughs> exactly, it was still during uh, the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So yeah, we it was um, a very different context. We went very fast on the regulatory aspects, product, insurance, all the insurance part went very, very fast. So we had some important milestones to, to raise money based on. Um, so, you know, we did the first bit of fundraising um, and then, you know, we started to assemble the team and uh, competing with talent for talent was really difficult it was a very competitive market um, i think we were all forced to pay probably over uh, you know the real cost right. of, of some things so it's very competitive um, we didn't go as fast as we were hoping on that you know things changed dramatically our clients got affected in different ways um, everything stopped for a bit companies were waiting to see you know the way things would develop uh, so that 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 had a, a bit of an impact not huge because we were very early so it wasn't huge and mm -hmm. um, and then as i said we were very agile we we kind of reacted very quickly and you know refocused them all our efforts within you know a couple of months um, and we were able to start kind of really closing our first few clients and proving that there is a market for what we do and that we solve a pain. Um, and we did another fundraising round at the end of 2022. So Q4, uh, exactly 12 months later, yeah. we did another funding round. Um, yeah, just a few months ago. And in 21, you, you kind of bootstrapped it until the end of the year before you raised the, the pre-seed round. So with your own resources already with engineers in the team or not yet uh, developing the MVP? Yeah, we did the MVP with the, a software factory. In, okay. uh, so it was fully outsourced and it was just an, an MVP. We didn't have any in-house engineers. No. Okay. But it was it with your own resources or with angel uh, funds or... Yeah, we did a very small kind of uh, foundational round and the founders invested a good bit of our own money, for sure. Like, com yeah, compared to other companies, a considerable amount of uh, our own resources. So, yeah, we, we did that. And then you had the, the pre-seed round end of 21, which was a, a very large one, right? So 3 million uh, plus, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, it was nearly, nearly 3 million, exactly. Yes. Okay. Pretty and, nice. And then end of 22, um, you did a, a seed round. Again, a more adjusted given the market and maybe your cash uh, needs for, for the next stage. It was around 1.2 or something around that. 2.2. Uh, 2.2. Yeah. I mean, we still had quite a bit of cash in the bank. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we debated a lot whether to fundraise or not, but um, 
We had a great partner, you know, great uh, leading uh, VC, which is K Fund, and um, the term sheet was super reasonable and very good valuation. Um, so very little dilution for the founders, uh, and you know, it would provide us, even right. though we had a still almost like a year worth of cash left in the bank. And it was nice to to raise again. So, yeah. yeah. So the, it would eliminate some some pressure, and it would mean that you know, of course, you always have to be careful with your runway and your what you spend your right. money on. Uh, but but it allows us to to hire a couple more people. Nothing huge, but just right. uh, make sure that we are ready. Uh, like we hired the head of product and um one people in sales. That that's what we've done. Yeah. Nothing else. Um, and you know, we we think we're in a much better position to really hit our milestones and uh, yeah. our targets. Uh, obviously, with with more money in the bank, uh, right. at least uh, there's less pressure. Uh, uh, but but you know, less right. pressure on time. So, but uh, still, obviously, the same one on, on results. Oh, and, right. Yeah. Right. We're very happy and, that we did it. And what what has been the size um, when you raised uh, in in December of twenty two the size of the team uh, and at that time uh, or uh, or today it's uh, it's it's March it's almost <laughs> but I know that you have hired another two yeah. or three people right no there is nineteen of us so it's okay. small so there were seventeen now so seventeen or sixteen <laughs> okay, exactly got it almost yeah. the same size but then in end of 21 that's when you were kind of just the founders and the and the software else uh, that you are to to build the first version of the product right, right. and and after that you internalize it the the huh? product uh, development this is good for other founders that are considering should we be ourselves i, I assume there is a lot of this uh, questions and, and maybe here we bridged the founding team so how did you build your own uh, founding team uh, can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think this is one of the mo most challenging things. Uh, you know, finding people that are complementary to your own skills, I think that's probably the, the key. And how you meet these people is uh, is difficult as well, you know. Uh, I know so many founders that have decided to, to co-found with friends, even childhood friends. And of course, you only hear about the stories that work out well. <laughs> you, you never hear like <laughs> exactly. big, uh, and the epic fails. Um, but yeah, it, it's difficult. So, uh, you know, we, we had this area of, of engineering that we didn't have a, found, a founder CTO. And that mm -hmm. was a problem for some investors, actually. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, but but we prefer to do it that way because um you know the person that you you go found with has to be the, the right person you know you spend more time with them than your life partner so right. uh, it's it's important that that things work out in that way so yeah uh, we, we decided to to outsource uh, some of this i don't know if that's the best thing at all you know if, mm -hmm. if i could go back there's definitely some things that uh, we couldn't do within the founding team, so they have to be outsourced. Right. Perhaps I would have um, brought in, you know, some of these things earlier. Uh, the context was very challenging, as I say, finding the right person took us about a year right. to find the right um, head of tech for us. So um, yeah. you just never know. So uh, you, you can make a wish list and and the perfect. Um, planning for your company but then reality uh, I think brings a different layer <laughs> to, right. to the whole process so, yeah. so we know your background so you have been working in the category for a very long time um, so you understand very well uh, go to market and um, your co-founder comes more from a ops background so uh, he is the COO you can share his name of course in, in the show as well sure yeah, so Christian Rochas is his name. And yes, his background, you know, he did a bit of actuarial work as well at the very beginning of, of his career. Yeah. And um, he's French-Colombian, so he started to work in, in France um, and then actually started to work in consulting, uh, management consulting, 
he moved to Colombia, was there for 10 years, uh, and he founded his first venture as well on, on well-being and corporate well-being. Awesome. Um, so, so we had these two complementary backgrounds, uh, mine on insurance and employee benefits. He's on, on well-being and, and consulting as well, which, you know, nice. so saves always, uh, execution is always key, I think, when it comes to... Yeah. To, to startups and uh, he brings that in and you know I actually met him well he was living in Colombia I was living uh, at the time between Paris and Madrid mm-hmm. and we met and um, we were introduced online and we were speaking for months amazing until, until we decided to actually meet physically uh, he was coming mm-hmm. to Europe for Christmas uh, mm-hmm. so we met and that's when we made the decision, yes, we could do something together. Yeah. Um, cool. But it was story. very, very interesting that, um, you know, bringing those those two worlds um, uh, together. Um, uh, he was. He used to tell me when we were speaking online that out of every, I don't know, uh, seven meetings out of every ten meetings he was having had to do with insurance. So he knew that that was the future of corporate well-being and nice. having to do with insurance uh, because he said something that really um, struck a chord with me, which is like interests are very aligned. And if you remember, that's the way I started the podcast. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I think I can do something with him. <laughs> and, and right. so, so we decided to just go for it. And he moved to, to Barcelona and we did it. Amazing. Yeah, because that process of building the founding team is is quite uh, complex to find the right match, to align the timing, to align the purpose, to, to get that complementarity. And then trying to force finding a co-founder CTO, uh, it's really, really painful. So in theory, it's perfect. Yes, you need to have kind of a business background founder and the technical founder in the team and even if you want to have someone from product or someone that adds another layer for instance this um, well-being um, uh, layer whatever are the skills that are missing in the founding team uh, it's easy to do in theory but then finding out the right person having a chemistry with that person believing that we can work together for the next five ten years that's another story and at the end of the day, you guys were not able to find the, the that CTO that you would need, and you decided to go with the software else and then hire the um, the head of engineering. Uh, when when did you hire the hire the head of engineering and uh, in in the journey? I think it's important to say that we kind of had a bridge in between these two worlds, you know, where there was only kind of non technical founders and finding a head of of tech. Um, we joined Antai, which is a venture builder um, mm-hmm. that a lot of people ask us why uh, we, we went there. And it's because right. they had a resident CTO that, you know, was at our disposal. So for us, it was very important that we had someone invested in the company that uh, would provide that that value to us. And he overviewed, you know, like the, the software factory, making sure that, you know, the things that we were doing were not, Cool. major disasters so um you know for us it was the right thing to do at the time uh, and um, you know it was of course you know having an insurance background and being an actuary by training uh, you always look to mitigate the risks you can so that's right. what we did but uh yeah then it took us um a year but again this this interim cpo helped us to to interview people and you know would do all the technical interviews for us because um we didn't have the right you know enough criteria to make a decision right. on the technical this helps a lot yeah so yeah and maybe doing. even to find the software else. So it was because it again, it's very difficult for a non-technical founder to understand if that software else will deliver or not, if understands kind of the lean methodology and, and if we need to change something because they figure out that this is not direction, what will be the flexibility of a software else? And, and that's why typically then you need to internalize uh, the process of, of keeping to deliver the next versions of, of the product, right? That's correct. But then you decided, so you had this interim CTO during uh, 21, and then at the end of 21, when you raised the, the 3 million uh, pre-seed rounds, 
then that's when you hired the uh, full-time um, head of engineering with the support of this interim CTO from Antai, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So our current head of engineering joined us uh, exactly a year ago now. So it was March uh, 2022. Mm -hmm. So the Antai CTO was with us for about nine to 10 months. So, right. Yeah. And the process of raising the money and doing the interviews and going through the recruitment process, right? It's another at least three months to be able to to hire that uh, that type of engineering. It's nice to see different different ways because sometimes we have these dogmas that we need to have the non-technical or the business background and the technical background. And I think that sometimes even some founders uh, decide this is not the timing to go, and they they are so passionate about the, the the problem and so passionate about the category, and they have so much capacity, but they don't find out the the right founding team, and they just give up. And it's it's nice to listen to your story because it's possible, as you said. It might not be the ideal way, uh, but uh, anyway, if it was not this way, it would not be uh, here, right? So, so it was the options that you have at the time, and you made the best possible with the resources and and the options that you had. And uh, unfortunately, you also didn't risk uh, having the pressure of uh, inviting a, a co-founder CTO that then might not be a cultural fit for you and might not be the right person. And then it would be much more difficult to sort, to sort it out, right? Because then you, you can, it's, it's very difficult to fire a co-founder. <laughs> it's certainly challenging, yes. And uh, emotionally, it takes a bigger <laughs> toll, let's say, than, than other stuff. So yeah, yeah. for us, was was the, the best uh, option we had on the table and that's what we did. Amazing. So amazing story. We kind of covered a bit your background, uh, the problem and, and the solution that you detected uh, working on, on your previous uh, roles, a bit about the products, the finding the ICP, the go-to-market motion, a bit of fundraising, building the founding team, also the engagement model that is not only uh, financially oriented as a lot of insure tech, of tech companies are, are following nowadays and why. Uh, also, how it helps to position a, a bit better the employee um, experience and even the, the companies on contributing to the S ESG uh, and carbon footprint and uh, and also the social causes that, that enterprise nowadays also need to take an eye out. So if you agree with me, let's go to the last segment uh, of the show. What do you think? I think it's the right time. <laughs> So and and let's go. Uh, if you would have the opportunity, Anna, to have a coffee with yourself at the beginning of twenty one, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger self? Mm. <laughs> I I think be lean and be fast. Um, I I think we've all heard these things, but uh, you don't really know how true they are and how important they are until you're there yourself. Um. You know, it, unless there are things that definitely you cannot do, like in my case, code, <laughs> um, those are things that you should try to do yourself at the beginning um, and learn as much as you can from them. Uh, and as soon as you feel you have enough knowledge, then you can go and look for people to help you do them. But uh, it's good to experience them. So, yeah, that's what I would say. And what are you the most proud of on your journey so far? Um, I think um, probably, you know, it's, it's, it's the way we're making decisions. Uh, you know, we're pretty fast, even difficult and painful decisions. Uh, we're able to tackle them and, you know, we're being brave in that regard. Um, and also, you know, something personally that I realized that I didn't realize I had such a strong network and that, you know, what you do in the past, uh, you know, and the okay. way you treat other people comes back to you in a very positive way. You know, building credibility and trust over the years kind of really helps uh, when it comes to it. So I'm pretty proud of that. And worst advice ever received it. Mm. <laughs> I've received plenty of bad advice over the years, <laughs> but I'd you say, worst, it out. <laughs> yeah, probably is um, 
just you know be rational <laughs> and i think rationalizing things is important but um sometimes instinct and intuition are um are very important as well especially when it comes to people <laughs> so um yeah i think rationalize everything was probably the worst advice i've ever been given i wish i hadn't listened that much to to it Love it. That's that's a good one. We could almost do just a podcast uh, about that one, right? And and now the resources. Your favorite book, business or non-business? You you decide. This is much more to get to know more about you. I, I read a lot, so it's difficult <laughs> to pick just one. Uh, but when you say this, there's one that really comes to me. That is "Amped Up" by Frank Slutman. Um, okay. He was the CEO of Snowflake. Okay. And actually, I think, you know, I will reread it now. <laughs> it just, uh, yeah, I think, you know, he talks a lot about urgency and ambition and, uh -huh. and speed. And I think it's a pretty good book for uh, any executive, whether it's startup yes. or non-startup. We'll take a look at it. Thanks for the addition to, to the list. It's a new one. Uh, favorite movie or series? I don't watch that many movies or, or series as I read books for sure, but uh, you know, I think I I I, I don't watch any TV. <laughs> I just um, kind of saw again hidden figures about three black female mathematicians working at NASA, and uh, yeah, I love that one. Yeah. You know, historic biopics is that's my thing. You know, I I like history. I love history. That that's I read the most about history, by the way. Not not business, not technology. Uh -huh. exactly. <laughs> Mainly history related. Um, Good choice. <laughs> yeah. And finally, your favorite podcast, excluding this one. <laughs> well, I guess I have to say work life romance, which is uh, a, a a podcast we do for the HR community and. Cool. Uh, Hands. But um, I also listen a lot to Kaizen by Jaime Rodriguez de Santiago, he's a Spanish uh -huh. guy that I, I really like the way he thinks and his models, you know, the, he, he tries to help people understanding the world uh, a little bit better and, you know, it's probably one of the very few that I, I listen to on a frequent basis, so very good one. And uh, congrats for uh, this Two years so far, right? It's it's two years and, and three months. Uh, and uh, you are always invited to to come back to share the next chaps, chapters. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm saving words. <laughs> and uh, it has been a pleasure to, to have you on the show. And, and congrats again for, for the amazing journey so far. Thank you very much. The pleasure has been mine as well. Really enjoyed it. And to our community, thanks for being there. As you see, we keep bringing you uh, the best founders and investors to help you scale a business. See you soon and keep scaling. <laughs>